Welcome to FinTech Fridays. Oh yeah! A weekly podcast brought to you by the National Crowdfunding and FinTech Association of Canada and Partners. Covering all things FinTech, blockchain, P2P, AI, and alternative finance. Hey everybody, Maitseep Khan here, and you are tuning in to another episode of Fintech Fridays. Today, I have the amazing, the incredibly talented Ali Pordad, the CEO of Progressa. Ali, thank you so much for sitting down with me today. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So, uh, Ali, could you just give the audience a little bit about who you are and essentially who and what Progressa is? Sure, I'm happy to. I think uh, for those who are not aware of myself or Progressa, uh, I have a background as an entrepreneur. I've been an entrepreneur for uh, now 20 years. Uh, this is my Second business, first business I had right out of high school, pre.com, it shows my age. This is my second life. Uh, we started Progressive back in 2013 in Vancouver. Uh, me and my co-founder uh, originally started off as a, a straight consumer finance uh, lending business. Uh, and sort of um, quietly behind the scenes, we were building software. And today, uh, I would say we're a, a sort of a full-blown financial technology company. We have a a lending business that uh, drives a significant amount of revenue, but we also have uh, a multitude of software offerings for uh, major Canadian enterprises, and uh, we solve problems for uh, for Canadian business. Yeah, that's incredible. So this might be a silly question, but I guess what will make you uh, a little bit more different than Money Mart and any of the other loan services out there? Sure, yeah. So we don't see companies like Money Mart or other loan services uh, companies uh, as, as competitors because we don't we don't go direct to consumer like they do. So a company like Money Mart uh, has branches, uh, has online, but they're they're really seeking consumers and going directly at consumers for lending products and offering them credit where they're actually putting cash in their pockets and not necessarily helping them. Progressive is fundamentally different. All of our customer acquisition comes from other businesses. Uh, and we're typically solving problems for those businesses and solving problems for those consumers. So what I mean by that is our software is, is sort of has a number of purposes, but the, the main purpose of uh, at least two thirds of our uh, of our software solution revolves around enterprise collections and trying to have a healthier and more holistic process to recover money as a as a Canadian enterprise. So that would be an example of you know a, a young lady or a young gentleman who's gone through a tough time in the past and. They owe, uh, you know, Rogers or Telus money. Progressa is the company that will come in and help facilitate that recovery for those enterprises, help them recover money, but also offer a better experience to that young lady or that young uh, gentleman who might be going through that tough time and stressful time. Ultimately, what that means is that Rogers, uh, Telus, Bell, and other enterprises that use Progressa uh, will have better net promoter scores. Better, which is better customer satisfaction and ultimately manage their risk better. So there's there's some real fundamental differences between us and traditional lenders. Um, all of our loans, for, for example, the, the customer is not actually seeing money from us. We're, we're helping pay their debts. We're helping pay down their debts and leaving them in a better financial spot. Mm-hmm. You guys also do, I mean, I've from looking from your website and some of your past blog posts, you guys do go a little bit more deeper than credit scores. Uh, you, you start building... I guess, a customer persona and just like a, a characteristic of, of like who this person is, their past histories. And everything. that in and of itself is pretty incredible because now it's very, indiv- the loan is more, much more personalized. It's a lot more individualized. Yeah, exactly. And it's, it's a very good point. I mean, we do have a proprietary technology that we've built over these six years. The technology is, is quite different than what's out in the market today. 
what's out in the market today is, I think you put it very well, it's not personalized. It's uh, very generic and it's very archaic. And so it, it leaves a lot of the population in a, in a position where uh, they can't be helped, even though they might be financially responsible or living within their budget, um, you know, doing all the right things. But on paper, it doesn't reflect that. That's, that's where progressive shines. That's, that's why we've been successful and we've been quietly growing behind the scenes because we've been making major investments in that technology that allows us to evaluate these consumers just fundamentally differently and give them credit for things that might, you might not necessarily see as a traditional lender. So you recently raised the $84 million round, which is absolutely incredible. Previously, you raised a $10 million round. You took a much more alternative approach compared to the other startups out there. They're, they were a lot more loud. They're a lot more bullish. In a sense, they had the mentality of we don't need banks. We don't need, we don't need the old world because we're building the new one, right? We don't need your guys' help. You guys took a much more silent and a lot, a lot more tactical route of quietly building partnerships with banks and credit card companies. Uh, could you, I guess, talk a little bit more of that approach and what that approach looked like? And what, what would your advice look like to other startups on collaborating with banks and other institutions? Uh, yeah, so I'm happy to answer that question. That was, it was obviously a very, uh, a, well, a very well thought out plan. Uh, in the early days when we uh, first launched, there was a lot of fintechs out there that uh, were making quite a bit of noise in the marketplace. Uh, a lot of that noise revolved around either taking down the banks or replacing the need for banks, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, in the Canadian marketplace, we have a affiliation with, with the banks that's going to be quite hard to displace. And we saw that in the early days. So, you know, what we decided to do is just invest in trying to tackle bank, bank problems. So what are things that the banks are trying to tackle and how can we help them be more successful? Uh, that was a fundamental decision we made early on. We did it quietly and without making noise because, frankly, we weren't ready to scale the business. And in a, in a business that has both technology and lending, you're not ready to scale until you have scalable technology. And you can't have scalable technology until you have some track record behind you. So it's very chicken and egg. You have to build it a little bit slow and, slow and steady or you risk blowing up your company. Uh, and that's what we did. Uh, we reached it now reached the point this year where we we have a very strong foundation. Uh, as you mentioned, we raised a big round. That round is a reflection of a sort of the order that we chose to tackle problems. And investors saw that they saw that we haven't blown up our business and that we're you know conscious of investor capital, and uh, they doubled down and and supported us on this next stage. You know, my advice to entrepreneurs that are you know considering building disruptive technology, you really need to evaluate what your what your roadmap looks like. What's your path to revenue? Uh, or you have a better path to revenue uh, trying to disrupt banks or trying to work with banks. Sometimes both can be achieved at the same time. And uh, that, that's the route that Progressive chose. Some of the investors mentioned that you've actually, from day one, you started operating the business as it was a public company. Uh, you, you talked about how you guys built a very strong foundation. Could you, I guess, give us a little bit more of detail of what that foundation looked like and like how you pretty much just muted out everybody else and just put your head down and just built Progressa. Sure. Yeah. I mean, so my background in between uh, my first business and Progressa sort of pivoted into professional services. I, I became a charter accountant. I worked at PwC for a number of years, really built up my professional skill set so that uh, I, I knew that one day I'd go back into entrepreneurship and I really wanted to have a good toolkit to build a business in a proper way. You, you can build businesses any any number of ways. A lot of entrepreneurs uh, get lucky. Some of them blow up their businesses. 
But I knew that this type of business was going to be successful. I needed to build those skill sets. So, you know, as a professional, uh, with a professional background, I, I very quickly started to build a team uh, in the right spots. And we focused on things that we knew were going to be needed to raise lots of capital. So um, making sure we have proper financial reporting, uh, making sure we have things like insurance, making sure, uh, you know, we have good controls, getting audited financial statements and so on and so forth. And we made all of those investments right off the bat to raise money in the Canadian marketplace as well. There's a lot of heavy regulation, you know, the government securities regulations in each of the provinces uh, is there to protect investors and, and rightfully so. And so as a company that, you know, has a, a strong need for capital like we do, uh, we had to have all of these checks and balances in place in order to be able to successfully raise money. Uh, today, that's, that's gotten easier because uh, we're more on the radar. But as an early stage startup, when you're going through these things, that's just one of one of the things you might not think about that makes that that will make life easier for you. Uh, make those investments, you know, allocate capital to proper lawyers, allocate capital to make sure you build your finance team, uh, have that reporting, the shareholder reporting as well. is very important in the early days. Keep your shareholders in the loop, keep them happy because you might be going back to them for more money. And, uh, and, and, invest, you know, investors are happy to continue to write checks into a growth story. Uh, but you got to deliver what you uh, what you say. Mm-hmm. So I guess sticking with the same chicken and egg analogy that you previously mentioned, uh, you want to make sure you have all your ducks in the row before you start uh, bringing on investors and everybody, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, we boot. I mean, we're we're six years in, and we bootstrap for the first couple of years. We totally bootstrapped the business. Uh, I don't remember having an, a management team up until uh, at least two and a half years into the company. So we were wow. probably. 20, 26 people before I hired my first other senior manager. It was, you know, Ali was uh, HR. He was, he was the CFO. He was, he was uh, legal. I did all, I basically just oversaw 26 uh, individuals in the organization and, and, and tell that point, you know, you, you know, as an entrepreneur, when you reach that point, when your business's run rate is reaching a certain point where you de-risk the investment to the point. And, and we had reached that, you know, we've got to the point where, the business has started to prove it. Start to prove that you know if we do start to make the the right investments in people and scalable technology, that we could build something big. Uh, once we had the the core competency under control, that's when we started to make those decisions. You know, mm-hmm. for, I, I, and I and I, w- I wouldn't do it any other way. And I, if any any of the entrepreneur that's looking to start a business today, certainly understand your core competencies first. Do that. Make the investments in understanding that before you build anything scalable on top of that. You want to make sure that you're building that you're building on the right foundation because you'll move faster. You'll save your investors a lot of money. You guys are also gearing up to go public by the end of 2019. So, again, uh, hashing, just just talking about the the huge round that you just raised. What what got investors excited? Was it a marketing experiment? I mean, I, have, I mean, I have to give credit to the investment bankers that were involved in our in our uh, fundraise. They did a good job positioning Progressive, uh, uh, you know, vis-a-vis the Canadian marketplace. Listen, we we but we we, we may go public. We haven't uh, officially announced anything, but uh, the reality is that a lot of that's market driven. Um, we're executing on on growth right now. The business is uh, reaching you know record. Uh, run rates uh, on, on revenue and the bottom line, uh, and, and and it sets us up to go public nicely if uh, that's what our board decides to do uh, and our shareholders uh, support. Uh, we do have a number, a lot of shareholders today. We're we're already about 200 shareholders in Progressa today, so 
you know, as a small business with 200 shareholders, everybody has to be on um, the same page about a decision like that. But there's lots of avenues for late stage private companies to create liquidity for investors if that's their plan. Uh, my personal plan is to continue to execute on uh, our, our strategic plan that, uh, that our board has signed off on. It's ambitious and it grows this business into uh, a very, very credible player in Canada. Uh, one thing that you mentioned earlier that I'll, I'll sort of reiterate is that we have very much flown under the radar for uh, three, four, five years, and now we're starting to get on that radar. Well, you can fully expect that we're gonna, we're going to be uh, doubling down quite quite hard on that on that side of things, and that we're you know it's, we're going to be more on the radar than uh, than ever before, and that's a very much a function of uh, launching our our technology uh, offering publicly. You know, all of our technology offerings that we made all these investments in have supported a, a growing lending business, but today they're ready to support other companies and support them and, and, and help them achieve their business objectives. And uh, you can you can expect you'll be hearing a lot more about Progress as we uh, as we roll up those products in the coming weeks. Yeah, I'm I'm super excited just to uh, just just to see like what's what's going to be like how I guess like the changes that may or may not happen now that you guys are going to be a little bit more on everybody's radar. So, um, how are you going to keep the team and progressive motivated, healthy, and productive? And how do you see I guess the environment changing? I get I mean I get rumored going going public. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> there's, there's different challenges for us uh, as a Toronto and Vancouver company. Uh, as, as Toronto and Vancouver are two very different cultures. You oh, absolutely. To, I, I think that the first point is you have to put people first if you want to grow your team in a healthy and, and productive way. Uh, you got to make investments in bringing on the right leaders who can work with younger teams and motivate them. Uh, but you also have to keep an eye on market trends because as you're, you know, your staff, they're, they're, uh, you know, especially in a larger organization like we are, they're always talking. They always have their eyes and ears on their friends at other organizations. I mean, to stay competitive, truly competitive, you need to have a proactive strategy with your employees and not and not reactive. Um, you know, as it relates to Progressa today, we've we've really doubled down on people. We've made uh, serious investments in uh, our in our in our senior HR uh, uh, people. We've just brought on uh, Merrill Finley, uh, a senior executive from Over Ventures, just literally started in this last week. It's a really big win for a company like Progressa because you can't. You can't navigate this late stage private to potentially IPO scenario without a person like that. We IPO, uh, that, that just leads to bigger and, 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 and better things. I mean, I would expect our team to increase in size modestly, but, but I mean, our HR function, that's, that's really where I would be focused. Uh, if we were, to, if we were to IPO, you suddenly now have different challenges and risks and you need to keep people first and have a people first philosophy. As long as that doesn't change and you double down on everything else, you know, post that feel to look really good. There, there are a lot of startups that both have either offices in Vancouver and in Toronto. Um, I guess your best advice to them would be just double down on people, focus on HR, and just be there for every single individual in the company because they're the people that are going to help build your amazing building and your amazing business, right? Absolutely. I mean, the companies are complex. You might, as an entrepreneur, you may not uh, see that on day one. You may be just doing everything and happy to do it and, and sort of learning things on the fly. But as you build out teams and build out processes and start making investments in technology, it becomes very sort of uh, evident to you how complex it is. And I think, you know, my advice is to obviously try to simplify it as much as you can and, and keep things simple for yourself and for your 
senior leaders that you bring on, but businesses are inherently complex. And if you don't keep people first, they get burnt out, they, uh, they don't grow, they get frustrated. You, you, you really have to have a people first mindset to drive that. And uh, we, we, we haven't always had it right at, at Progressa. It's not something you get right right away. You, sometimes you make mistakes, you hire the wrong people. And, and you just need to iterate, just like you iterate technology, you have to iterate uh, on your team and get it and get it to a place where it becomes scalable. Uh, because it's, it's not just technology scalability that drives businesses like fintech, it's people scalability. You have to, you have, to have the right people at the right times uh, and, and you have to know when it's the right time for those people to move on. These companies evolve very fast. I mean, you you know, in the early days, you might double, triple, quadruple revenue year over year. If you maintain those run rates for two, three, four years and haven't made investments in people, they'll get burnt out really fast. And so uh, that would be my my advice. I lo- yeah, I love that, the people scalability. That's incredible. Uh, so I guess you, you have mentioned that a little bit a little bit earlier, like how much harder it is for Canadian fintech companies to get Canadian uh, investment money. Uh, what is your perspective on the regulating sector, right? So, for example, consumer loans. Do you feel that the government is including regulators? And do you think they're striking the right balance between investor protection and enabling market innovation? Yeah, I mean, I think certainly some regulation is needed across the board. Uh, otherwise, you, you know, you can get yourself in situations, the country that, that things don't make macro sense anymore. Like, I mean, best example would be in 2008. There was a you know lack of regulation that caused banks in the U.S. to have aggressive underwriting practices, and that contributed to a major catastrophic financial crisis. Um, so, you know, you don't want that. That's sort of worst case scenario. In Canada, you know, people, I think people would be quite surprised to understand there is a fair amount of regulation out there in consumer loans. Uh, you know, we have a very heavily regulated mortgage space, payday loan space, uh, and even other types of lending are very he- uh, heavily regulated uh, province by province. You know, in my view, household debt um, to income ratios are, are quite concerning in, in Canada. That is, you know, that that can easily be correlated to other things. It may not be a regulation issue. It simply could be, you know, high real estate prices and low interest rates. Those are very hard things for regulators to control. So balance is a, is a tough question to answer. I mean, from an investor standpoint, I do believe provincial governments have been working hard to find that right, that right balance between investor protection and enabling innovation. Uh, a major, you know, a major issue that we continue to have in Canada, though, is that these provinces uh, securities regulators aren't, aren't harmonized fully yet, and that makes that does make things complicated for startups to navigate and, and innovate quickly. Touching back on what you said, you guys have invested in a lot of the technologies, right? Do you see do you see the future with digital banking by offering a full range of services? And if so, I guess what technology are you most excited about? And that you think is going to have the most impact? Yeah, I mean, I think I think uh, we are already a lot of the way there in Canada. I think our major banks have fairly strong digital banking offerings themselves. You know, there's not uh, there's a, there's a lot of room for disruption, but I think the single probably the single most important I'll call it legislation required to fully complete the digital banking roadmap for all Canadians, and probably the one I'm most excited about is the open banking concept. And that's something that governments are starting to get wind of in the EU. They 
have already started to empower consumers with data. Once the banking data is back in the control of consumers and not the bank, then you really will have a truly digital banking environment with the full range of services and with you know the ability to unlock full potential. Until then, you know, you know, I think Canadian fintechs will continue to innovate. You know, again, Progressa, we we play behind the scenes. We try to create, create we try to create software that adds value uh, to uh, banks and credit cards and so on. Solve problems. You know, what what that could lead to if the regulators don't offer, if they don't um, move quick enough on open banking, is that banks could just start to snap up uh, fintech uh, one at a time as they as they see fit. I think. You know, you have uh, the fintechs that are still around after five, six, seven years. They are they're well positioned to sit down with banks and start having those conversations. Open banking can could change the environment in Canada significantly as it relates to digital banking offerings. It could uh, it could really make life it could really make life good for Canadians and, and even the playing field uh, for a lot of consumers out there without uh, traditional uh, access to credit or. Uh, just you know, traditional banking products simply because uh, their data is in the control of a bank that uh, is not doing anything with it. So essentially, the old gatekeepers of helping Canadians uh, in the past are going to greatly diminish. They're just making again, like 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 you've mentioned a couple times, they're just making lives of Canadians that much more easier, right? That, that's the idea. I mean, banks. I think banks do a great job. I'm not. I'm not. Uh, I'm not. The, I'm not in the camp that that. Uh, Banks need to go down, or or or, or fold, or be uh, to be disrupted. Certainly, there's a lot of services and banks that are frustrating as a consumer to deal with. But at the end of the day, they have been making large investments in digital banking uh, offerings. The issue is less to do with those offerings and more to do with empowering the consumer. As a as a consumer of a bank, you sometimes feel handcuffed and. I, you know, I think fundamentally there's a lot of upside here for Canadians if the government does step in and and, and offer, you know, and open up the, the the data again, the kimono, give the power back to the consumer. It, it just opens up a wide range of uh, opportunity to offer service and really, you know, make life good for that consumer. But I mean, best examples are 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 the social media companies in the U.S. that are able to take data and improve. You know, again, that's a. I think it depends on who you ask. But if you ask me, they and and you've offered your consent, they can really improve life for you and and make things very uh, sort of seamless for you day to day. There's no reason we can't be in that situation in Canada with uh, banking data. It's just gonna take a well thought out plan. So, speaking of peer to peer, you're seeing a lot of people starting to shift into getting into crypto and very much getting into blockchain. How do you see loan services um, like yourself getting into blockchain? And how do you see loan services in the blockchain different from existing services that we have today? And pretty much what I'm asking is, what do you need to see, uh, be it KYC, be it regulatory, to make a actual shift to be 50-50 blockchain, or if not, just go all in on blockchain? Yeah, so I think I mean, the answer to that question is simply you have to look at where the regulations are heaviest and where uh, blockchain can solve those problems. And in lending, you know, I think those questions are still being asked. They're not fully flushed out. But certainly where you have heavy KYC, the, the mortgage space, and other, other types of lending in Canada, yes, the blockchain can, can solve uh, a significant problem where, is it, where as it relates to onboarding customers and 
making sure that there's a paper trail for everything. And so from that perspective, the blockchain has some, has some real application to make uh, things more seamless for consumers. I think, uh, you know, as far as crypto is concerned, uh, there is a lot of a, a big young population out there that uh, has been investing in cryptocurrency. I know the average age of a crypto user is quite, quite young and, uh, and they're building up a cryptocurrency wallet uh, with, with, you know, real financial holdings there. So, that that money is is available, but it's not available in Canadian in their Canadian bank account. It's not available in their U.S. bank account. It's available in their crypto accounts. And so naturally, uh, you know, there's going to be um, sources and uses uh, for that money, and that and lending is one option for the cryptocurrency. So you're going to start to see platforms that offer peer-to-peer lending options for the cryptocurrencies, simply because people are going to be sitting on those currencies and are going to want to get that money to work and try to generate a return just like any uh, you know company or, or or other peer-to-peer platform in the US as an example is trying to trying to achieve definitely we're, we're going to see a, a shift into crypto i don't think it's going to to take over uh, take over the world as far as lending is concerned i think lending is just a function of uh, whatever currencies you're sitting on out there whether it's crypto or fiat but uh, certainly, the blockchain, going back to that, uh, will make life good. And, and it's, I think it's up to companies right now to start, again, asking the questions on where, where are the problems, where are the pain points, and how can I use blockchain to, uh, to make things better for the At Progressa, we're, we're, um, we're certainly exploring a lot of those things, but not, haven't decided to use the blockchain yet. Yeah, so that's, that's what I was going to ask. Of, uh, so you did mention uh, peer-to-peer loans, right? So... Do you see peer-to-peer loans disrupting your business, given that it would make it a lot more easier for um, just Canadians and if not underserviced Canadians to get loans and just to make sure they can pay their Rogers bill or their phone bill or what have you? So I don't, I don't, I don't necessarily see that. I think offering credit is a, again, a core competency that you have to learn over time. And it's, and it's, you know, it's not something that it's just easy to reproduce. You have to learn by mistakes. You have to have money to lose. Because you definitely will lose money in the beginning, and it takes time to, again, understand that core competency so you can start to scale it and, and, and make money in greater uh, greater amounts. Is, you know, is it possibly disruptable? Absolutely, there's, there's possible disruption there in the future. I think in Canada, it, you know, probably a lower chance of that happening. Peer to peer lending in, in Canada, first of all, is, is is being banned by securities regulators for uh, for quite some time. In the U.S., certainly, you see peer-to-peer lending is much more prevalent, and you're already seeing blockchain-based companies tackle peer-to-peer lending. But you know, there's just a drop in the bucket, and the reality is, the blockchain is uh, at this point uh, heavily correlated with cryptocurrencies uh, and the underlying cryptocurrencies, and so that's the main driver. Uh, you know, if somebody's borrowing and they don't need cryptocurrency, then there's really no use for the platform. So. As far as I understand, there's uh, we're still talking about um, tens of millions of cryptocurrency users across the world, not hundreds of millions or two hundred, you know, or billions yet. And so it's still a quite a small market uh, relative uh, relative to the overall market, and something that companies just need to keep their eye on and evaluate as they grow and and look at market opportunities and you know pounce on it if you think uh, there's something there to to grow into. Yeah, no, absolutely. Like, like what you said before, right? Like it's very, the crypto, the average crypto user is very young. So it's tens of millions, not hundreds of millions or not two hundreds of millions. So it's at a very young, very infancy stage for companies to pounce on it. Right. So 
I guess one of the things that is is out there that's very, very prevalent in the business media would be alongside of crypto and blockchain would be AI, right? Um, AI is definitely going to be disrupting the banking industry for sure. Um, in the past couple episodes, uh, it was also mentioned that AI is also going to be very disruptive for the insurance business. How do you see AI either disrupting or helping the loan services? And do you see, the, do you see AI as an opportunity or do you see it as a threat? Oh, I mean, Progressive sees it as an opportunity for sure. I want to be very careful about answering this question because I, I don't know that I would recommend, you know, getting into lending if you have an AI. Like that's not the reason to get into lending, and I don't think you can use AI effectively right off the bat. Anyways, I think you have to grow into AI. AI is by its you know inherently is reliant on big data. You can't. You don't just. You know, you're not just sitting on that data when you launch a business. You have to build the data over time. You need to make sure it's it's scalable data. It's being housed properly. There's a lot of investment you have to make in data infrastructure to leverage AI effectively. So from our perspective, I mean, we definitely see it as an opportunity because we've made those investments in heavy, heavy investments in technology and our data infrastructure. I mean, we have a full data team in Vancouver that to use AI effectively to have automated uh, credit models and, and, and use sort of machine learning to sort of automate the uh, recalibration process that we, that we currently have humans doing. You know? And so that, that's all upside for a business that makes those investments. But it's not something that I don't think, it's just something that's not practical for a number of years. You have to, you can't just acquire the data, you have to learn by mistakes and build up the data in an appropriate way so that, so that when you're ready to build scalable technology, you, you, know, you add AI to the list. Yeah. So it, all it is just testing and learning, right? Where, where do you see yourself in progressing in the next three to five years? I mean, given that we talked about blockchain and crypto and AI. Yeah. I mean, I see Progressa generate, I mean, over three to five years, Progressa is generating, and it's not something you'd see online right now. You'd see it as a very traditional lending business, but in over three to five years, uh, Progressa is generating the majority of its revenue from its technologies uh, and a minority of its revenue is from its lending business. Uh, I mean, we've made significant investments in software that are driving great growth in our lending business today. But over the next three to five years, I, you know, I fully expect that we'll be able to service our uh, much larger enterprise partners in more meaningful ways as a software provider and much more so than a lender. For me, personally, I, I mean, I'm having fun. We've made significant investments in building out a great team, and I want to see this team be successful. Uh, I work closely with our board, and you know, I'll continue to run Progressive as long as they, they pass me with the job. Um, at the same time, you know, Progressive set up uh, set me up for many great opportunities personally as well. You know, I've, I've, I'm trying to get involved with, uh, with as many younger entrepreneurs as I can, and and guide them and share my voice. Uh, uh, you know, I've uh, been, I've had the privilege of contributing uh, weekly for a couple of years on the Business in Vancouver Technology Panel. Uh, continue to do that and have fun, and so I you know I, I'm in a mode personally where. Progressa, even though we've been flying under the radar behind the scenes, Progressa has still set me up to uh, have, uh, you know, meaningfully uh, contribute back uh, and uh, guide younger entrepreneurs and try to get involved with uh, younger businesses that uh, have disruptive technologies. Um, so I think that's what I see for, for my future. Yeah, that's incredible. It's, uh, it's, it's actually uh, very humbling to, to hear that, like, even though you are, I guess, relatively to compared to traditional businesses, you guys are a very young company, but you already have the mindset of, 
yeah, I know I'm still a startup. I know I'm still building a great business, but I still want to give back to younger entrepreneurs. I still want to guide them and go like, hey, yeah, that mistake I made over there. Yeah, don't do that. Just do this instead. This is going to make your life so much easier. That in and of itself, that's absolutely incredible. So as a aspiring young entrepreneur myself, I, I wholeheartedly thank you and amazing entrepreneurs like you for helping and just guiding us and giving back. Yeah, thank you. I, I appreciate it. Uh, and uh, thanks for having me on the show. No, no, no. Absolutely. So what would be the best way for young entrepreneurs out there to contact you? Could we Snapchat you? Do we hit you up on Twitter? What would be the best way to contact you? Yeah, for sure. I'm on, I'm on Twitter. Uh, the, my handle is uh, Ali Fordad. It's my first name and my last name. You can find me on Progressive.com as well. We, you know, I'll have a bio on there with my name. So uh, you'll find me on Twitter. You'll find me on Instagram. And happy to, to chat with young entrepreneurs uh, all the time. I mean, we uh, certainly have our, our, our hands full at Progressive, but um, again, I'm also on LinkedIn as well. That's a, always a good way to find me is on LinkedIn. Happy to happy to chat with young entrepreneurs and add value where I can. Awesome, Ali. Thank you so much for sitting down with me today, and I can't wait to have you on the show again. Hopefully, post IPO. I'd love to be back. Thank you. You've been listening to Fintech Fridays, brought to you by NCFA and Partners. Tune in weekly for the latest Fintech Friday podcast by subscribing to this channel. The National Crowdfunding and Fintech Association of Canada is a nonprofit actively engaged with social and investment fintech sectors around the globe and provides education, research, industry stewardship, services, and networking opportunities to thousands of members and subscribers. For more information, please visit ncfacanada.org.